Fan Drive. I'm Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. I'm back in studio today after doing the show from home yesterday. Uh, Nick Kipperos of uh, Real Kipper and Born in studio for the first segment today. I noticed Borny wasn't in studio, though. I mean... I don't know what that was about. Where, where's where's he? What, what's his oh, excuse? He's got like a, a winter carnival pageant oh. or something like that. You oh, know, that's nice. He's just being a good dad. Though. Really good dad. Good for, and yeah. I, I granted him permission for that. <laughs> that's very nice. Good to see you, man. Good to see you guys. Yeah, like what's happening, Matt? This is special because he's usually like gone yeah. when I come in here. Is that you. right? Yeah. Yes. The last couple of times it's just been yes. you and I. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I do the born thing and I, I go run and do TV, but you guys are on earlier. So yeah. born can like born and I were both down there last night, but he's like got his feet up him and Stewie and Jamal and Carolyn have yeah. like their food spread and everything. And I'm like, Oh man, I'm it's almost as if wa- watching the leaf game on my phone for the yeah. first period and then <laughs> doing my Raptors thing, then running home. And I've, yeah, I've, I've been down there en- the enough over the years to know that you were probably the only one watching the, the game at the time. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I didn't. I uh, right as they had to go to right as they came on to break it down. I was uh, I was doing Raptor stuff, so I didn't I didn't catch it. You my my takes, yesterday. of course, much stronger than than Bourne's, Obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you were wearing a nice uh, sweater, a chunky sweater. Born yeah. with a nice suit yesterday. All right, enough uh, enough about that. I want to talk about some of your work, Kipper, because I brought this up the last couple of days, and I just reread. Your piece uh, from the Toronto Star from October. And I don't know if you if you know what I'm referencing, but I don't even remember what I had for breakfast yeah. today. So right. please, October, be gentle on me. October twelfth, twenty twenty two. The Leafs should have named Matt Murray their number one goalie from the start. Here's why. Loved it. It, it was a great uh, yeah. piece to talk off of, and we did uh, for a whole bunch uh, of shows after you wrote it. So I appreciated that, and and obviously so much of what you read, yeah, was was accurate and probably did apply within the confines of the dressing room at the time. Here we are now past the midway point of the season. And Matt Murray had a couple of rough games. I mean, you could quibble, yeah. I guess, with the the loss to the Bruins, certainly against the Panthers. He was abysmal and that's it. He's like, at least for the time being, he's lost, lost hold of the, the number one job. And rightly so, because Samson played that, that well. I just wonder if, and it's hard to argue on the basis of merit, that, that you should be starting ahead of Ilya Samsonov. I just wonder how that's playing for the guy who, as you wrote in your piece yeah. on, in October, has the pedigree, has the contract. Yeah, listen, uh, there, there's no question that uh, uh, my thinking when I first wrote that was that uh, I'm still one of those traditionalists that believe that, uh, you know, for a team and for guys going into a playoff, particularly with a team that... Uh, should be contending for a Stanley Cup, you really need to know that you've got the one guy that you believe in. And, of course, 82 games can help you reach that point. Um, when they started this thing between Samsonov and Matt Murray, uh, I really believed at the time that this has to be skewed towards the guy with the experience, the guy that's done it before, and the the guy that can show that he can handle the pressure when it's needed most hasn't really gone that way for for Matt Murray. He had a terrific start once he get got healthy, mm-hmm. and then there were opportunities for Samsonov to get in uh, to get in. Now, you know, let me let me play kind of you know play on the other side here for a second. If if they would have come out and and 
supported Matt Murray all along here and established that feeling that he is the number one goalie, could you have gotten away with Samsonov doing what he's doing right now and saying he's doing a terrific job, he's buying time, we're working on a few things with Matt Murray, uh, but he's, he's still our guy. My whole point in all of this is I'm not sure where Matt Murray is mentally if he feels like he's been, uh, you know, the team's, he's lost the team, the team's lost confidence in him. I don't know what Matt Murray's back half of the season is going to look like. Or are they going to let him try to get back in there? Or is this just moving forward for Samsonov? But if it does get to the point where Samsonov is still better than Matt Murray to the point where you're going with him in the first round and he doesn't get the job done, and although he's as talented as can be but maybe can't handle it mentally, was the right decision the way this thing played out um, in the best interest of of getting you to the place that you need to be? So, I, I, I mean, I appreciate it, and I think on, on, on the surface we can say that Samsonov's a, a more talented, better goalie than him right now. I just don't know where Samsonov's going to be mentally to try to take a, a team that's almost close to 60 years without a Stanley Cup, maybe the most pressure on the team in how many years? 20? And he's the guy that you're grooming right now. I don't know how it's going to play out, and he may very well be the guy that can get it done and the maturity levels there, and the ability to handle the stress is there. But right now, man, we're still rolling the dice, aren't we? It does seem like that a little bit. I, I do like with with Samsonov, you know, the the confidence in the quotes gives me a little bit of reassurance that, that yeah. it's there. Yeah, yeah, he got lucky. Good, good for him, kind of thing. Um, Kipper, I want to get into some of the specifics of you know what's made Samsonov so good, and, and more to something you mentioned today. Uh, what Murray has maybe struggled with technically. But before that, you mentioned off the top and in that piece at the start of the season that you're a traditionalist and you believe the room would be better served by having that knowledge and certainty of who's number one. Let's say this continues to play out the rest of the year where, you know, Samsonov, two of the next three cools off a little bit, Murray gets the run with it, and they're still going kind of back and forth, close-ish to 50-50. How close to the playoffs do you think Sheldon Keefe or the front office need to kind of lock in that decision for, for it to have that effect that you mentioned on the room. Yeah, I would say uh, uh, a good four weeks for sure that uh, the, the team would be able to say that uh, we, we like this guy. We can win with this guy. And uh, if it's going to be Samsonov, then uh, I, I, I wouldn't leave it to, you know, <laughs> Uh, the weekend before game one, <laughs> that they have to know that uh, this guy can battle, this guy can sustain uh, a long run here if we need it and and hold us in a series. And there's plenty of time for him to build that trust now. Um, but again, to what expense do you now just look at Matt Murray and say, hey, listen, you know what? You had your opportunity. It's gone. Mm-hmm. We need you to be a, a terrific backup goalie. And uh, I don't know. How does he respond to that? How does it, how does that paychecks are the same at least? No, it's not. <laughs> I know. Once you're past the paychecks, yeah. if, if, is he a, is, is Matt Murray in the back half? If Samsonov runs with this, a good teammate here, a supportive teammate play the role of a backup guy. Well, and or then is look- he, or is he going to, is he going to quietly cheer against you and wait for my opportunity? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those, those, that, that dynamic in a room, 
is uncomfortable for players. And I guess it's true the other way, but I'm thinking to that first-round series in Game 1 against the Tampa Bay Lightning, whether that's in Toronto or whether that's in Tampa, and how short the leash is for either guy. And you're talking about mentality of a 25-year-old former first-round pick, but that was you know, waved goodbye from the, the team that drafted him and then you know signed with the Leafs because he saw an opportunity present itself. And lo and behold, here he is, like taking the reins as the number one goaltender. If there are questions about how he would hold up in a playoff series, looks over the bench, there's a guy with two Stanley Cup rings. Yeah. Like, as, it, as his backup, making you know more than $5 bucks against the cap this season... Yeah, I, I don't know if that's necessarily a a, a a tenable place for the 25-year-old goalie you're supposed to lead a team to a Stanley Cup either. I I just, I, I've only won one cup mm-hmm. and I watched. I've won one. zero. I've won just one. <laughs> and I do know that uh, at the time, Glenn Healy had come off a conference final with the New York Islanders, bumped off Mario Lemieux, mm. one of the bigger upsets in at the time, modern day. And the Rangers signed him and told him, under no circumstances are you to think that you can come in here and be the number one goalie. It's Mike Richter. Yeah. And Glenn was making almost a million dollars at the time yeah. to be a great support guy. And, and let me tell you something. Glenn Healy was a damn good goalie. And there were some nights that we had to go into a very tough Boston Bruin building and Glenn would give that performance of his life and still know that Mike Richter is the goalie. And Mike Richter never felt threatened by him. Mm. They had a great relationship. They were fun uh, guys to be around. Maybe that's happening here. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe not. So we'll see. We will, and this is a case where, you know, at some point that stuff tends to come out if it's not tenable, at least after the fact, mm. uh, if things don't go that way. Um, so with Matt Murray, we don't know what's going on, you know, how he's handling this mentally. We do know what's been going on between the pipes when he's out there. On the season, it hasn't been that bad. 9-11 save percentage. That's it, yeah. Save percentage league-wide is the but, lowest it's been in like 15 yeah, years. That, that, but Yes, very strong start. Very cool. Four weeks. Give me the same numbers. Four weeks. Uh, 932 and then 884. There you go. Since that kind of midway part of Matt Murray's season. So um, on the whole, you could look and say, well, he's been a bit above average, but it's really been he's been awesome and then pretty shaky. Um, Kipper, I know you were, were speaking earlier that you think there's something technical going on it's maybe not an injury it's maybe not mental there's something to the technique side of things um what do you what are you seeing or, or what are you hearing in that regard well i again this is just a, an observation uh that when you look at uh, matt murray he's uh not nearly as athletic or as busy as uh samsonov and when when you're playing the percentages of uh, angles and 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 coming out when Matt Murray's at his best, he's uh, he's as squared to the shooter as anybody. He doesn't give you much. He's a shot blocker, uh, and he's dialed right in. And that just seems to have lo- he's he's lost that probably in the last three or four weeks. And uh, you talk to a lot of the goalies that we have on our show um, that have done it professionally. Um, McKenna is one of the best ones. We had. Uh, uh, Valaket from MSG the other day f- talking uh, Rangers, but all they talk about uh, is, is tracking the puck and 
putting yourself in a position with, you know, head positioning and again, finding ways to be efficient uh, with your, your angles. And right now I think that's probably what I see talking to a few people that tracking pucks is, uh, has been a challenge for him. And uh, I would think that uh, uh, Curtis Sanford, who's now the uh, goaltending coach with the Toronto Maple Leafs would be uh, spending a good week on uh, uh, finding, finding pucks again. Mm-hmm. Gibber, we saw a trade yesterday, the National Hockey League. It wasn't an earth-shattering <laughs> trade, but it, it was a trade. Moved. Well, that's it, man. And I know we're still more than a month away from yeah. the NHL trade deadline, but there was some conversation that the Bo Horvat sweepstakes are starting to, to, to heat up. Mr. Insider Man, like, yeah. are, are, are things starting to happen? Like, is it yeah. way too early to, to no, be way, talking way, about that? Way too early. Mm-hmm. And we've got over half the team uh, – pressed up against the cap uh they've maxed you know they're maxing out their long-term injury i i think if we look at the toronto maple leafs they might have uh, a million and a half in cap space yeah it's not a ton it's not a ton <laughs> so you tell me how anybody's coming in if money's not moving out and uh it, it's it's way too early we're gonna have to see teams go to a third party to maybe offset some of the money that might be coming in that gets more expensive that costs you prospects or draft picks and uh i think i think we're going to see a lot of names thrown out and that's good for insiders because Mm. we wouldn't be paying attention to them at all Mm -hmm. uh, without those names uh and that'll pique your interest Uh, but the reality is that uh i think there's going to be a lot more supply than demand come March 3rd. And, oh. that, and that's only because it's a flat cap and there's too many teams with handcuffs. So th- so that's good. That's, I mean, for... If you're a buyer. Yeah, if you're a buyer. If you're the Toronto Maple Leafs and you're a buyer, I, I do... What? I, it's, it's great that you're a buyer, but it doesn't necessarily mean that prices will drop. Mm. Uh, it may for Bo Horvat because you may walk him out the door and lose nothing for it. So he's going to go. He's going to. You're going to be able to get uh, a, a first and a prospect. But I, I don't think that uh, you know a guy like uh, Jacob Chikrin, who's got uh, I think two more years at four point six, uh, necessarily. I don't see Arizona dropping their price to the point where they'll they'll take anything by by March third. So, like I said, I think there's going to be some big names that you thought could move that end up don't moving. We'll see how the standings go the next month and change as well right now 11 teams uh this is a pretty crude model but 11 teams have less than a 10 percent chance of making the playoffs that's how set the standings are kind of already so uh maybe some of those teams look to move early and uh kind of jump the market we'll see um kipper i know around this time last year when we had when i was on the fan morning show and we had you on this was i believe before the labushkin uh acquisition you had said you know hey, the Leafs don't need one defenseman. They need three defensemen. Um, I know you said it's a little too early to get into the specific names, but in terms of what the Leafs should be looking for, um, we saw Ben not look great last night, and yeah, maybe TJ Brody's on his way back, but um, how do you feel about the blue line this year versus last year and yeah. versus, you know, the, the you know, say they only have one option yeah. of shoring up the blue line or shoring up that, that bottom six? Where do you lean right now? Well, when... Uh, when you think of depth right now, and even if uh, everyone's healthy and, and, and Jordy Ben's your seventh, mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm okay with that. Okay, I really am. I don't know if I would want Jordy Ben starting game one, 
But if there's an injury, I know that he's got enough experience and can move a puck and uh, and cer- certainly be serviceable. So, you know, I, I would like to see the Leafs add another legit top four on the blue line. Mm-hmm. And I think that would even actually uh, help Morgan Riley. It could help Lilligren. And Lilligren's made great strides, yeah. no question. But I don't necessarily want to add more to Lilligren well, and this- ask him... To 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 be a number two defenseman. I mean, if Morgan's heck, my number one. If he's going to outmuscle Chris Kreider right? night to night, then may, maybe he can. But yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, and, and I know that you you discussed this a little bit earlier. Um, but you you mentioned make things a little easier on Morgan Riley or put him in better spots. Um, what are you seeing with Riley since he came back from injury? Because it doesn't you know it doesn't seem like he's found that groove quite yet. Whether you're whether you're looking at the power play numbers yeah. or the kind of advanced defensive numbers. Um, there's just not a lot clicking for him right yeah. now. I, I, I think, I think he cares. I think he's a real, uh, you know, I, I do find him uh, a guy that wants to do so well. And sometimes we've all been around a, a person, whether it's in the office, it just tries a little too hard and, and looks for um, things that aren't there. And I think sometimes he gets caught in the middle for me where he's jumping up on a rush or, um, he doesn't gets himself caught up in the neutral zone, pinching when he shouldn't, uh, mm. not getting back in time because he took a route behind the net. <laughs> um, I just think that, you know, if we look at the stretch of great defense this season, uh, it would have come when Morgan Riley's out of the lineup. And why is that? Because I think nobody was trying too hard. No one was trying to replace anybody. They stayed within their means. It was uh, on a lot of nights, uh, they weren't outstanding, but they weren't noticeable for blatant mistakes. They kept it simple. They just stayed on the right side of the puck. They got they moved pucks out, and uh, they were able to, 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 to really start a, a stretch of sound defensive play. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes when I watch Morgan, I'm not sure what he what he's trying to accomplish on some nights. It looks like he wants to you know, score three or four points. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he does, I, th- I think he gets himself in trouble. He'd probably like to look up the scoreboard and not see like a big goose egg yeah, in, in the goal know, column. You know what, Morgan, you're, I don't care. Have yeah, a goose well, egg all care. season long. But I, I, it's a top five team in the league. I Just agree. defend, defend well and everything will look after itself. I don't care. And you shouldn't care either. No one's going to judge you on, uh, on not having a goal all season. If, if you have great team success, hundred percent, yeah, yeah, no, he'll be on Legends Row if this team accomplishes the, the, the impossible and wins a Stanley Cup. That's what he should be thinking Statue about. Time, baby. Yeah. <laughs> no, we'll have people arguing that actually you should score zero goals. It's better. <laughs> yeah, all the defensemen should score zero yes. goals. Sandine not having a power play goal either—that's a feature now, yeah. not, a, not a bug. So, uh, before I let you go, I do. I mean, you mentioned Timothy Lilligren, who has the the great two point game, has the game tying goal, and has the assists on. Yeah. I, I probably could have assisted on the the overtime winner by Mitch Marner, who just yeah turned on the Jets and scored a, a beautiful uh, goal in the three on three session. Before that, Keandre uh, Miller uh, almost broke his spine in half with a, a hit from behind center ice, and a lot of bystanders, which is I don't know not uncommon in the National Hockey League as a whole. Like is that is that a a, a team specific thing? Is it a thing? Should we make a deal of yeah. it? Should we not? I, I I think there has to be a level of, of acceptance that these 
this roster is just not that type of roster. And I think the concern above seeing somebody jump into a pile uh, midway point uh, over 82 games is less of a concern of just how things ramp up in the playoffs mm-hmm. and uh, the ability to finish checks and tire your opponent out because of it still might be a challenge for the Leafs. Uh, and that in itself is a questionable thing, you know, whether or not they have the roster that can tire physically their opponents out. They're going to do it with skill, speed, quickness, hopefully a power play, a good goaltending, and you just hope that's enough because this isn't a heavy team. They're not built to lean on people, and they're certainly not built to to jump into piles and and, and take matters in their own hands. No, and, they're and not. you just you got to live with it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose you do. And yeah. if they lose in the first round, go back and pick up two or three examples during the regular season on on why uh, we shouldn't be surprised they're out of the first round. <laughs> that's what's that's what's going to wait for them if they don't get past. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a lot going to wait for this team if they don't get out of the first round. Uh, but let's uh, let's not talk about that now. All right, Kipper. Uh- <laughs> Yeah, great. To, we got half a season to go, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, great to see you, man. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, always a pleasure, guys. Uh, Nick Kiprios, real Kipper and born. When we come back, uh, Raptors putting the tank plans on hold for at least one night. That's uh, next as the fan drive time continues. Ben Annis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet five ninety, the fan. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. almost 39 years on this planet all of those living in this country i did something for the first time what? today what oh you're almost 39 and you did something for the first thing what did you That's, think i said i didn't know where that sentence was going well you, you I thought had you to wait gonna, until the end of i it. thought you were gonna say it was someone's 39th birthday or something it's like almost that, my 39th, 39th anniversary or something there are a lot of weird my, like today's Vince Carter's birthday. It's Wayne Gretzky's birthday today. It's the the anniversary of Kobe passing. It's a lot of like weird dates today. I never put that t- together. That all three of those. Wow, that is wild. But yeah, no, I saw the first. I saw was the Wayne Gretzky. I saw that the Kobe um, tributes uh, all over the place. And yeah, Vince Carter's birthday. If yeah. you if you care, my birthday is coming up. It's February twelfth. It'll be I'll be thirty nine then. Okay. All right. I'll pretend to care. All right, thank you. I'll put it in my calendar also, right now. Abraham Lincoln's birthday. So, oh well, now I'll remember for sure. Wait, you're <laughs> is that not Super Bowl Sunday? Uh, is or is it the fifth Super Bowl Sunday? I have no idea. No, I think that's Super Bowl Sunday. Oh, I think you're right. Yeah. So everybody yeah, in North America will be celebrating my birthday by Super Bowl watching and Ben birthday. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> February 12th in the calendar. I uh, I got everybody. Rihanna is going to perform for my birthday. Yes. So looking forward to that. Anyways, what I was going to say before we got 
sidetracked is I did something for the first time today. As a Canadian, it's kind of embarrassing that I've never done it before, but I, I used a snowblower for the first time. Mm, which and was, you didn't lose a hand. No, I kept all, all my hands, all my digits. Um, you were worried about that yesterday. Yeah, I know. I was. It, it, yeah, you're right. You just don't stick them in the front yeah. there, and you're, you're generally good. Those things are loud, though. Mm-hmm. I, I've just... I, I've never had a, a driveway long enough that necessitated it, but I, I was helping my, my in-laws out a little bit. And, They're not uh, snow whisperers. Well, yeah, no, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I guess. Blower. Yeah, all right. You're right. There is no, no such... Like, hair blower is also loud. Blower blower indicates loudness. Anyways, shout out yeah, to me. air doesn't move quietly. No, it can. Not at enough volume to... Sure, it's loud coming out of your mouth. All right. <laughs> uh, so we didn't get to see... The beam lit last night. No, it, much to the chagrin of you and Grange. I was, man. Sacramento Kings super fans. They should just change the color of it when it's a loss. Like, light it, like, in red or something. Some, yeah, fans would take that super well, <laughs> lighting up. You know what? Every, after every Jays loss this season, they should light the CN Tower in Yankees pinstripes. And, just yeah, this, that'll go over super well. It's sad. You should do something for a loss, I think, if you're a North American pro sports team. Anyways, the Kings... We're good. Still are good. Um, they are. They, they they score a bunch. Not yesterday, though. Averaging 120 points a game this season. Kept them under 100 yesterday. Uh, they did almost shoot 50% from the floor, but the Raptors took a ton more shots because they induced a bunch of turnovers. They played As they the, do. That's the way it's supposed to work, right, Blake? So this is, yeah. This is uh, not a team that's going to limit you to whatever the Grizzlies are limiting opponents to, what, like 40-some-odd Low 40 uh, field goal percentage, that's not the way it's designed to work. It's designed to have you score a lot on the fast break and then create a lot of turnovers, which they did yesterday. And it doesn't undo all the damage that still has them as the sixth record in the NBA. But boy, watching them play like that yesterday does make you think, what the hell has gone wrong for this this much of, of, a, of a regular season? It's very frustrating, and not to kick people over to another sports of property, but I can wa- I can see William Liu on Tim and Friends right now. Don't and, watch him. And Will and I were talking uh, last night after the game, not on air or anything, just talking about, you know, the level of a game like that is so fun, and then once the fun has had a moment to settle, it's incredibly frustrating because it's like, why? Like, nothing changed. It's the same eight guys we've seen in the rotation pretty much the whole way, give or take the Precious Achua injury. And yeah, Precious Achua isn't going to shoot nine of 12 every game. Chris Boucher isn't going to shoot seven of 11. But those three guys with Hernan Gomez, or if it's a Thad Young night or whatever, can give effective minutes off the bench so that you only have to play your top guys 36 to 38 minutes instead Mm. of 40 minutes. And we saw last night a very balanced attack from the starting five as well. Um, you know, Siakam had kind of like a quiet 26, 11 and seven, uh, which is a hilarious thing to say. And it wasn't, you know, it was a quieter dude. It wasn't an outlier game. It's not like the, no. the Raptors just went nuts and hit 70% of their threes or something. No, like they shot off- 30% on threes. No, they got outscored from three point range. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, they, they didn't get to the free throw line at all. Basically neither team did. It was just a low foul game. Uh, not a lot of defense, <laughs> despite the score, I guess. Um, 
But it did feel like a strong defensive game for the Raptors. And and this is where, you know, one of the things that I I didn't get this granular in my piece at sportsnet.ca this week about the the defense. Yeah. And and it's like, like not all opponents are created equal, right? Like you can look at on average and you can look at for the season as a whole. And I did some like, you know, okay, which teams have overperformed against the Raptors and which teams have underperformed against the Raptors. And the one thing that, despite the defensive struggles kind of stood out is that they've still done a pretty good job against teams that run their offense through a big man. Mm-hmm. And DeMontis Sabonis was in hell last night. Like yeah. this is a guy who was getting close to Oscar Robertson's franchise record for consecutive double doubles. And you know what stat category he was closest to a double in last night? Turnovers. Turnovers. He had nine points, eight rebounds, nine turnovers headed for that obscure triple double. Um, And yeah, he was, he was in hell for a lot of that game and and he looked frustrated and the Kings offense, it's very, very good in transition. That was still kind of the case because De'Aaron Fox is De'Aaron Fox, but yeah, the Raptors beat them at their own game in terms of getting out and running like De'Aaron Fox was a key part of their offense. He was minus 30 in his 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Like the the Raptors rolled them whenever De'Aaron Fox was on the floor. And then offensively, if the Sabonis stuff isn't working in the half court, it's hard for this team to get into their stuff. It's a lot of DeMontis Sabonis posting up and creating a mismatch. And when those doubles come that the Raptors do so often or, or the zone looks in the post, then he's kicking out. And if you don't do those things, he's barreling to the rim. Last night, what we saw was short of... Kevin Herter getting really, really hot from three for a little bit. There wasn't any of that ability for someone else to kind of create the offense outside of Sabonis. So this is something that, you know, if you look at the teams that the Raptors have had decent defensive showings against, uh, they tend to be teams that, that initiate through bigs or at least have a handful of, of traditional bigs. Like I think, you know, anecdotally, the Raptors' best games of the season have been both the Cleveland games. Mm-hmm. I believe that was the one where you you said the infamous yeah, uh, yeah. third in the East. You don't have to keep bringing that I up. I know. And, and then <laughs> I, I do, though. It's it's funny to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then there was a Heat game, and they run it through uh, Bam Adebayo a lot. One of their best defensive performances of the year was against Joel Embiid. So you do see a little bit of consistency with that. Um, having said that, there's no reason that this team can't defend like that maybe the results aren't the same night to night but that level of connectivity and effort and pascal siakam having a third quarter where he's carrying the entire offensive load and is also turning everything away at the rim scotty barnes basically being the point guard and then the center defensively at the same yeah. time like there's Dude, it's they, not going to look that good every night but there's the gap between this and what we've seen from them is inexplicable they should be much closer to this team night to night unless they blow it up well, now but of this course is, but-, but this is why we talk about vibes right because there's something unquantifiable and I, I guess part of it is yeah the stylistically and the teams that they're playing make it easier to play your style or your your style looks more effective again against certain teams and it's more matchup dependent but it does like it it does feel like something just hasn't clicked for this team that is so very similar roster construction wise to the one that went on the incredible second half run. They and won I'm, 48 games last year. Dude, and I remember that Western Conference roadie in March where it was like... I think it was the first time they ever won five games on a single road trip. And it was unbelievable. And you're like, well, if you could win a... And they just absolutely rattled off win after win after win against Western Conference powerhouse. And they were still above 500 when they went on that road trip. So the season... Well, it wasn't 
teetering, I suppose, at that point. The season's already lost, I think. Although that that being said, like, if you do something stupid, like go out and win five, six of, the, of these games on this road trip, and I guess the way they played yesterday, that's not out of the realm of possibility. I just... I don't think this team is that far away. That's why when we I raised the specter of a complete teardown yesterday and you said how difficult that would be to do with the deadline, I, I just I can't envision it at any time because there are pieces here, and I, a lot of people are pointing to the, the Kings of a, a season ago that finished well below 500 and a pretty significant trade of Tyrese Halliburton for the aforementioned Sabonis and like a real good offseason of, of acquisitions, and here they are third in the Western Conference. Like that... There is like a comparable. It does feel like the Raptors are a couple of tweaks away from maybe not being a championship contender, but like fixing this. They probably are. And this is the conundrum of them having so many trade chips is if you have all those guys that other teams are lining up to take, how are you in a bad spot? (laughs) And the games that have happened have happened. If, If we were to reset the standings right now and on the talent level and who the roster is the rest of the season, like let's throw out the lottery odds and what's happened. If you just looked at, you know, we have a season and a half now of information on these guys and we know what they're trying to do. We know what each guy is individually capable of. You would pick this team to be above 500 and and probably like a few games above 500 the rest of the way. That is colored, of course, by the way, you know, we're talking about, oh, maybe there will be some rest nights down the stretch. Maybe they trade a piece or two away. But on paper, this is still like, you know, I picked them for, I think, 49 wins before the season. Maybe it's closer to 44 at this point. Mm-hmm. But it's not like they're that bad and they don't have marquee wins. So the the key difference between being in that situation this year and being in that situation last year, though, first of all, they turned it around earlier last year, but there was longer runway on the cap sheet with a lot of these decision points last year. Mm. Last year, the free agents were guys that don't fundamentally change where you're going. Like I love Chris Boucher. He was awesome last night. He's a key bench piece. If he, if his free agency had played out differently, that is not a franchise altering thing. By the way, his doc, which is up on Crave now, is excellent and, and well worth a watch. Really, yeah, I saw you tweeting about yeah, that. Yeah, really um, insightful and funny and uh, inspiring. Chris Boucher's story is awesome, so check that out on Crave. Um, but there were none of these big, big, big decisions last offseason okay, other so- than like maybe you extend Fred. So let me let me throw a hypothetical at you. Instead of player options, the uh, Gary Trent Jr. and Fred Van Vliet are locked in for next season. Are we having the same conversation? No, I don't think we are. I think you're, you're, that conversation is then focused entirely on how do you make this basketball team better for next year. Like, I, I don't think it's realistic to, even if they have a really good road trip here, I don't think it's super realistic to be like, well, maybe they can catch you know, this team in the play-in and then win a play-in. And no, then no, no, you're no. not, where, well, and who also, you are now, like you're not taking, no one's picking this team against Boston, no. Milwaukee or Brooklyn, probably not even Cleveland, even though they've matched up well in the past. Like that's good against ha- the Knicks. Sure. <laughs> or the, are the Hornets going to make the playoff? Probably not. Right. Um, so this, this is where it gets a little complicated is that, you and I've mentioned this a couple times about doing your offseason work early because this season is, while not entirely lost, hard to see the full upside in. And it's not it's certainly not worth maximizing for this year. You're like like they could go seven and zero on this road trip and then win that first home game back Who before cares? the trade deadline. You are that's not enough to buy and like to 
sell off future pieces to help this team. That's not happening. So because like the upside of this team is, I, I think what we saw in the second half and into the playoffs last year, although Scotty was injured, right? Yeah, like, I think there's like I think a different playoff opponent or that one plays out a little differently. They could have won a playoff round, but yeah, we're we're kind of seeing what the cap is unless Scotty continues to, you know, if you compare his last 15 games at the start of the season, if he takes another jump like that, like anything's on the table, he's been unbelievable. Um, But this is the hard part that you're in is you're trying to make these basketball decisions with a big chunk of your core. That's still going to be around, but those basketball decisions are informed by the realities of playing in a salary capped league where two of your five or six most important players can opt out this offseason, and if they were to leave, you don't have a means to replace them. So these conversations are not just about would a Gary Trent trade make this team better today. It's Mm -hmm. would a Gary Trent trade make this team better today and next year, and would those pieces fit better for building, and is all of that or a potential downgrade there, does that outweigh the risk of losing him for nothing later? Mm-hmm. that's what's really complicated about this. It's also why I know you've pushed back on me on this a couple times when I've said like, oh, they're still like making these decisions, but they really are. Like I did a podcast today with Michael Scotto of Hoopside. It's not up yet, but one of the things he brings up is that every league executive he's talked to is still waiting to see which direction the Raptors pick. If they pick a direction, Brian Windhorst was on ESPN today, right before we came on. And he said basically the same thing. The quote was, this is what the whole league is watching because they've kind of indicated they're going to wait until the last week before the trade deadline, before they decide which direction they're going to go. That's Brian Windhorst on ESPN. That's, about as well we're as, almost we're almost there though but yeah but yeah I like mean, last two week. weeks out yeah so that would be you know we're still four or five games away and look some of this is almost surely pulling leverage points right like maybe the gary trent stuff comes out and grange talked to us about it yesterday you know maybe the raptors eagerness to re-sign him is something that they were willing to go on record with because that signals to other teams like, hey, the Raptors' backs aren't against the wall That's in the Gary it. Trent negotiation. That's it. It's the same with, you know, it's the same with any of these things, like the OG three picks thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure there was a team that that said, yeah, we, we'd give you three picks if you don't need any roster players back and we can lottery protect some of them and whatever. Three picks aren't created equal, but that's out there for a reason. And it's because two weeks out from the deadline, not only does this front office probably still think, exactly as you said, this group next year could look much better with another high pick and you finally hit on a free agent or whatever. But the other thing is like, why wouldn't you play the leverage game right now yeah, and of wait it out and put those things out there. And if you win a couple games right now, all the better, because then you can play yeah. this veil of, well, maybe we just won't make a trade at all. But yeah, you might end up in the play in tournament, which you don't want to be in play uh, in for what? Exactly. And Although, Wiz- Wizards won again yesterday. I mean, they're playing yeah. Houston. The Wizards are they're killing it right now. One, yeah. four straight. I will say playing for what? And, you, you laughed at me for this yesterday or the day before, but um, it rings different when there's actual playoff revenue to make sure. versus Tampa where only I was allowed in the arena. Yeah. Um, Do you think that's no. a real consideration? Because I know I know the luxury tax stuff is, and it should the be. The luxury honestly, tax stuff honestly, is a huge swing. It, it should. It yeah. should. Like, I, 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 I shouldn't say it like that because I'm not going to tell a billionaire sports conglomerate, don't spend money on players because sure, okay, if, you, if you've... If, that's all you care about is creating the best team possible, which it is sort of to an extent. 
But yeah, the idea of not spending into the into the luxury tax if you're not mm-hmm. a championship contender, yeah. that, I I I can even my yeah. brain can go there. The luxury and the luxury tax in the NBA is like a, it's a whole beast of a thing where you know there are so many layers to it and repeater tax and then it's you know it's one of these things uh, where when they cut sam decker last year trying to explain to people why they'd roll with an empty roster spot to save a couple bucks and it's like it's not because if you duck the luxury tax you also get your share of the luxury tax payout Mm. from everyone else and if the golden state warriors and los angeles clippers are going to pay like 400 million (laughs) dollars or whatever and you get a little taste of that like i I don't like you can't use that around the cap next year but even in the in the championship season the way i try to explain it to people is and i don't know this is specifically the case but imagine that i'd be very surprised if these teams have hard budgets year to year it's probably more of a let's say three-year rolling budget where it's like, yeah, you can go into the tax right now, but that tax payment, unless you win a championship and revenue goes bananas, that is borrowing from next year's budget or the year after's budget or something like that. Like the budget is not limitless. So right now, if you are ducking the tax and getting $15 million in tax payments, well, guess what? You might be more comfortable doing next year or the next time you're in a contention window well, is spending into the tax. So going along that same thought process, this this idea of playing a a... a I guess even it's, if it's not home, you get a, a part of the revenue pie a in, in, a, in a play-in game. Like and, is, and we're talking about $2 million per playoff game. Okay. Well, like is somebody breathing down Masai Jiri's neck saying like, hey, man, I know. I don't think so, but this team also lost their sellout streak recently. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying that like I missed MLS, that. When did that happen? Uh, last uh, homestand, whatever. I, the weekend where they had Knicks and Celtics. I can't remember which game, mm. but one of them wasn't a sellout. Um now, I'm not saying that MLSE is like finger on Maasai being like, you better get a playing game. But I do think when you're looking at all of these things, like it's not as, I don't know, it's not tank for a pick or the whole season's been a bust. Like some people in these organizations treat it like a business. I don't. I don't think it's profit center. I I, I would like to win, um, but I don't own the team and I'm not the, the president and GM. So um, there's also a, an element, too, of like this front office has, with the exception of the Tampa year, talked a lot about how winning and playing to win and playing in playoff environments is a part of the developmental plan mm-hmm. as well. They think that helps makes players better. Yeah. Um, there's an element Scotty of Scotty Barnes played in the playoffs briefly season yeah. ago. He looked really good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, until he got hurt. Anyway, so. This is a, a complicated situation. I don't think anyone needs to get bogged down in the tax stuff this year or the playoff revenue or anything like that. I think the core of this is going to be how best to make this team something closer to what they envisioned next year and the year after. And I use that timeline because, you know, we're talking about Pascal Siakam and Fred so Van Vliet much. headed toward 30 and OG Ananobi with an opt-out and things like that. Um, to me, so much of that is also, though, yeah, optimizing your 2023 first round pick which means tanking like sitting it, right here if you could finish sure, it does it, but here's the thing though if you are looking at the 2023 2024 window like yes scotty barnes came in and contributed right away on one rookie of the year and evan mm-hmm. mobley was awesome mm-hmm. and you look around and see Wemby and scoot and yeah those guys look like they could like scoot is like the best player in the g league like, he could be playing in the NBA right now, no problem. Him and Wemby could contribute to winning right away. But by and large, rookies don't, mm-hmm. like, even good rookies don't drive winning a ton. Yeah. It takes a little bit to go from 
I'm here and comfortable and then I could get my stuff in. That's I can get true. my buckets and my assists. And then, hey, I'm using all this stuff to help the team win. Scotty Barnes was a bit of an outlier in that. Scotty Barnes and Evan Mobley last year were a bit of outliers in that regard. We haven't seen Cade be able to do it yet in part because of injuries and that team's in a multi-year tank. Chet Holmgren um, has stunk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hey, Oklahoma City much better with Chet out of the lineup this year than anyone expected uh, because they are half a game out of the playoffs. Yeah. Um, anyway, all this stuff is, I, I know we've been ben talking Carroll's about a lot good. this week. Yeah. And they're hanging around. But they're not winning. Yeah. And th- this is what I mean. It's like some of that's team environment and some of it's like we don't have much sample of high lottery picks going on to good teams mm-hmm. like Scotty Barnes and Evan Mobley did. Like that right. just doesn't happen a lot. Um, but yeah, it, it's, I don't know that, Short of landing a top two pick, you can pencil those guys. Certainly, you can pencil that guy into a rotation spot next year, but I don't know if you can pencil him in for, hey, this guy has in one year significantly changed what this team is. So I think it's important to be realistic about that as well. I still really think the biggest factor the Raptors are facing, though, is what is your comfort level and confidence level in being able to re-sign those two guys who could be free agents? Mm Mm-hmm. And how much are you willing to risk that and risk losing them for nothing with not a lot of means to replace them? Yeah. Because if one or both of those guys walk with nothing coming back or just like a light sign and trade return, that's going to be a hard thing to reconcile with keeping Pascal and OG and, you know, Fred or whoever they keep. Like, I, I, yeah. you got to pick a lane here. I know. And I, I want the easiest path and I want the one with the le- the least amount of risk. That's why I'm like, yeah, I'd overpay for Fred and Gary Trent if you got Wemby as well. Like, you get Wemby, so you're thinking about the future. And like, yeah. That's, that's the ideal and, scenario. Hey, the draft happens before free agency. Okay. So, yeah. But then you're screwed if yeah, <laughs> the lottery balls don't go your way and you don't think... Uh, well, you're not screwed. You just explore sign and trades yeah. and stuff. But it is funny not that, as good. Like, it is funny that the better your lottery odds turned out, which, you know, means your future is brighter, the more in a year like this, you'd actually, yes, be incentivized to like, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's pay, it. Pay that's Fred. It. You could do both. You pay could Fred, have- pay Gary, because you have Wemby or Scoot and Barnes on their rookie deals. No kidding. And you go like baseball brain with it. And it's like, hey, it's not important to win during these guys' peaks. It's important to win when these guys are inexpensive so you can spend on all the supporting pieces. But- you're yeah. talking about and we're like ta- you're looking like seven dominoes down I the know. line. And and we t- yeah, you talk about the sign and trade, and we scoff. We go yeah. far to the the sign and trade. I mean, Precious Chua looks all That's right. why I was just gonna say, like Precious. I mean, we we scoffed at the Kyle Lowry thing. Precious looked like a guy yesterday for sure. He's awesome, and when he's been healthy, he's so- like borderline their best defensive player again now. Dude, like not uh, not quite OG, and, and, but and what did we say about that season that they had to make a choice like they were and the Raptors you know kept indicating no we don't like and then they didn't and then they held on to him and they did the sign and trade and and the return wasn't maybe Tyrese Maxey like we we thought um but yeah yeah I mean I I've spent the last two years pushing back okay on that. yeah I, I don't I, I still am not entirely clear like where that came from that like someone said that that was on the table and the Raptors nah, said no it was, I, there was a report, though. Somebody credible. I think it was a Sixers person had it. Yes, but had it without the important factor of it was. It wouldn't have to be just Maxi. You, you, if you're doing that in season to make the salaries match, they yeah. also would have had to lose a bunch of other rotation pieces. Right. And that, and then you got a quibble about picks. Dude, I'm telling you, if Kyle Lowry for Tyrese Maxi was available to them, and Kyle Lowry was okay with that, and the cap didn't exist. 
Mm-hmm. Tyrese Maxey would be a Raptor, but if Tyrese Maxey, Danny Green, another rotation piece, quibble on the picks, and maybe Kyle's not thrilled about what they're saying about his next contract, then it gets tougher. Okay, so I've I've come to a new conclusion. I would like Tyrese Maxey to be a Toronto Raptor. <laughs> no, my new conclusion, uh, the cowardly GM that I would be if I was running the Toronto Raptors right now, yeah, I would hold on to Fred and Gary and shut everybody down. And second half, the- <laughs> you'd simply win the lottery. <laughs> yeah, with, I- I would shut everybody down and they'd be willing to knowing that uh, I would sign them to their market value, despite the fact that their counting statistics wouldn't be there at the end of the season. I like, they didn't play that. Last I like half. that your strategy hinges on like a one in 10 chance. Just yeah, yeah, that happened. Yeah. It's yeah. like right, right now the Raptors would have just shy of a one in five chance at Wemby or Scoot. Okay. Yeah, but, uh, Assuming good. they see the top two as I see the top two. Yeah, and I think most people do see the top two. I don't know. So, yeah, the idea that... Hey, the- I'm watching a lot of Metro 92 games. You trust me uh, here. Okay, all right. Uh, I, I do. No, <laughs> I'm not watching a lot of... I have seen Scoot more than I've seen Wemby, that's for sure. All right. Anyways, speaking of young players, uh, Keith Law's top 100 prospects piece coming out on Monday. I expect to see at least one Toronto Blue Jay there, perhaps more. We will talk to the aforementioned Keith Law of The Athletic next as the fan drive time continues. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.